It's not how you start, but it's how you finish that matters. Who's heard that statement? I hate that statement. I feel like you should get some credit for the first part, right? Like, okay, we worked hard, we've got this thing going. In the last five minutes, you just kind of mess it up. I feel like I should get credit for the 95%. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, a friend, a family member, on a first date, or a spouse, where for 30, 40 minutes, things seem to be going great? You're connecting, right? You're hitting on all cylinders, you're engaging in this deep spiritual connection, this emotional connection. You're like, this person's my soulmate. This is amazing. And you're kind of wrapping up, and then all of a sudden you say, one thing, one ill-fated comment that you think is witty or humorous, and you just see the face change. For me, it's usually followed with, what did you mean by that? (laughs) Or, why did you say something like that? And the whole thing changes, and you look at that person, you know for some reason, you're coming in for a rough landing, right? The plane is going down, and that whole 45 minutes, that whole conversation is now tainted By those last few minutes, that's how you're going to be remembered. Well, Jesus had a knack for intentionally throwing his conversation down the drain with strong language, final sentences that grabbed his hearers' attention and left a bad taste in their mouth. I want to read a couple of them this morning. Matthew 5, we're in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, and he's given this great sermon, this great message, and he's got people all around him. And it kind of comes to a head, and he he throws this line in there. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you. Now, that doesn't seem like a good way to end a sermon, right? I'm not going to do that this morning to you, but that's a horrible way. You're reaching this climax, this pinnacle of the conversation. All of a sudden, you say, you're going to be persecuted, I've been in the church a long time, and I've heard that, and it just kind of rolls off my back. But the first time that you hear that, that's not really a rallying cry of a leader that you want, or Mark 13. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in their synagogues. That's a great halftime rallying cry, right? Follow me. I'm this great leader. It's going to be amazing. We're going to join this movement. We're going to move forward and make a difference. By the way, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be insulted. Or Luke 6. Blessed are you when people hate you. How many people like being hated? This is not really like the pep talk that we're looking for, right? They will hate you. They will exclude you and insult you. Reject your name as evil because of me. Very exciting this morning, isn't it? What does all this have to do with being bold? The past two weeks, Derek has been talking about bold faith and bold prayer. And in the middle of this message, we were looking at each other, Derek and myself, and saying, okay, looking at Acts 5, what can we talk about? We've been in Acts 4 for this whole time. In Acts 5, it comes and it says, Brian, you're talking. Why don't we look at your, you know, this text, what rises to the surface, take into account your personality, where we feel like God might be calling you, and uh, what do you want to speak about And after a few minutes of deliberation, we kind of look at each other and go, what about suffering? (laughs) I don't know what that says about my personality, but suffering came to the surface. And what we realize is that there's something bold about suffering. 
And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're saying it differently. Bold persistence. See, boldness is confidence and courage, oftentimes in the face of challenge. And if we're going to implement what Derek's been talking about the past few weeks, having this bold faith and bold prayer, you can be certain that you will hit bumps in the road that will challenge your faith, challenge who you are, and challenge your perspective of God. And boldness only counts if you finish it strong. Jesus gives many warnings about the suffering of this challenge. And the challenge that is before us this morning is not just to go 95% of the way. To say, okay, I'm going to be bold up until it gets hard and then quit. The challenge before us this morning is, will you finish strong? Will you be remembered for finishing strong? The apostles, which is people Derek's been talking about and who Acts focuses on regularly, are these followers of Jesus that have been with Jesus during his teaching for three years, seen his death, and then witnessed his resurrection. They have the full picture of who Jesus is, right? They've been with him, they've experienced this, and they've gone through the ups and downs. And during Jesus' life, during his teaching, they're regularly looking at him saying, Jesus, deliver me from the tension. I want an escape from Rome. I want to be set free. They're following Jesus because they're looking at him to start a movement, and when he becomes king, they'll be the next in command. That's what they're looking for, is an escape from Rome, this tension. But Jesus dies, and they embrace failure. For three days, they embrace failure. Then God does something miraculous, something powerful, and raises Jesus from the dead. And all of a sudden, they have a new passion, a new lease on life. And they say, okay, this is the person we want to follow. This is our leader. There is hope before us. And this sparks something powerful in their life. And so we find these apostles now 50 days after Jesus' resurrection during a period called Shavuot or what the church is called Pentecost. In Jewish history, Shavuot is a celebration of the harvest. And so all these people are coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple and declaring, thanking God for his harvest, for his blessing. This has also become known as the time when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. It's a celebratory time because it celebrates the relationship between God and Israel. And they find themselves in Jerusalem because Jesus has told them, share my message here. Share my message with Israel in Jerusalem, in the temple. Stay here until you receive power to proclaim this message. And so in Acts 4, Derek talked two weeks ago about them being in Solomon's colonnade in the portico on the Temple Mount and sharing this message. And they heal this crippled beggar. And all of a sudden, the Sanhedrin, this Jewish judge and jury, if you will, arrests them, puts them in jail, sets them on trial, and eventually just releases them, gives them a little slap on the wrist and says, go, just don't talk about this Jesus anymore. We don't want to hear any more about him. He's caused enough trouble in Jerusalem. And the more you bring up his name, the more trouble there is. So go. Don't do it anymore. And last week we talked about bold prayer because the apostles went back to their community and said, God, give us boldness to overcome this tension. 
during Jesus' life, they were praying for an escape. And in Acts 4, they began praying for endurance because they realized that the road ahead of them is going to be challenging. We pick up our story in Acts 5. I invite you to turn there this morning, or it'll be on the screen behind us. Acts 5, verse 12 through 14. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to gather together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. A day or so before, they'd been in Solomon's colonnade on the Temple Mount. And what happened? They were arrested, right? But they have this clear calling from Jesus to be in Jerusalem and proclaim this message of new life. And so where do they go a day later after they've been arrested and released? They go back to the same exact place that they were just arrested, Solomon's Colonnade on the Temple Mount. This is either boldness or ignorance, right? Like this is, this is likely why some of the people around them didn't dare join them in that verse and Verse 13, others didn't dare join them. So these are people who accepted this message, said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then looked at the apostles and said, those guys are crazy. They are not the brightest people. They were just arrested there. Why would they go back to that same place? And so they've likely looked at themselves and said, okay, I believe this Jesus thing, but I'm going to practice it over here where it's a little bit safer. I'm going to keep it for my family or for myself, or I'm just going to go to this town next to us where there's a little less tension. But the apostles had a clear calling. They knew what God was calling them to, and so they went right back into the face of tension and said, we are going to proclaim this message. Can you imagine what happens next? Can you kind of guess? They've been arrested once in Solomon's colonnade. Let's pick up in verse 17. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, a second time, put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began teaching the people. Again, boldness or ignorance, right? They've been arrested in Solomon's colonnade on the temple mount. They've been released with a slap on the wrist. Say, go, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. A couple, a day or so later, they go to the Temple Mount. They get arrested again. They're in over their heads at this point, and God sends a messenger and opens up the prison gates, and they go out. And what is the command they receive? This seems kind of cruel. Go back to the Temple Mount. Go back into that place of tension, into that struggle. And what happens a third time? They're doing pretty good on this. Three out of three. They're arrested a third time. Three times in a matter of days. What's powerful here, I think, it says in verse 18 that they were put in public jail. This isn't just a holding cell for citizens. The Greek literally means they were put in jail publicly. Do you catch the difference? So they've been arrested once. They're being arrested a second time. But this is a much more public incident. These authorities, they're now jealous. And they say, okay, we're going to make a case out of these people. 
We don't want the rest of the world following after them, so we are going to humiliate them, we're going to insult them, and we're going to drag them to jail in front of everybody so that they get the point that this is something we will not tolerate. They put them in jail publicly, but they go back. I don't know if I would go back. I'd like to think I'm a little smarter than that. I don't know if I would go back. What caused them to continually rise above this challenge, rise above this this suffering, and go back where they know they shouldn't? I look around people in my life, and I say, why do certain people overcome failure? Why do they overcome challenges where I feel like, okay, maybe I'd give up? I'd give in. I'd say, okay, this just isn't for me. This isn't working out. Or I'd pick a different place. I'd say, okay, Temple Mount, that's fine. We've been arrested twice there. I got a free get out of jail pass. I'm just not going to go back. I'm going to go somewhere else. It's a little bit safer. What is it that causes certain people to overcome? Angela Duckworth does a TED Talk where she studied this, wanting to know why certain students or employees succeed where others fail. What is it that causes some people to keep their jobs and other people end up losing them? Or what about entrepreneurs, those who go into business for themselves and succeed while others fail? And what she discovered is that it wasn't a matter of social intelligence or health or good looks or IQ or academic ranking, all of which I'm glad they are not based on. It was this little four-letter word attribute called grit, which is a blend of perseverance and passion a blend of passion and perseverance, these two things that come together that allow people to overcome challenge. And what she discovered was that in the way that we look at challenge, look at suffering, we can recreate our perspective as a way to overcome. So basically looking at a challenge, you haven't failed or quit, we can look and say, okay, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to grow beyond it. I'm going to take steps of boldness to get past it. The only challenge is that with myself, this grit can quickly be grounded in self, right? So this is my own strength. I'm going to just hold on. I'm going to persevere because I'm just man enough to do so, right? I'm going to get the skills. I'm going to get the education. I'm going to fight out the person next to me. I'm going to pull my peer down in order for myself to get up. These are the things that causes grit to be grounded in self. It becomes about me, my power, my strength. But what I've discovered is that the harder the tension gets, the more complex the situation becomes. I, I begin to shake a little bit, right? Shake under that pressure. We shake under that, the external situations that are moving us around. Things become unsure when grit is grounded in self. But when grit is grounded in God, something dramatic changes. Something dramatic changes. Because it's no longer about ourselves, but it's about a person beyond us. And if we think that we are these finite beings, we have an end in mind, we're not eternal. I am swayed easily by my own limitations or the external situation. And then we transfer that grounding, that anchor to God, who is immutable, immovable, immortal. There is something that holds in place where I cannot. 
When grit is grounded in self, my anchor is pulled out of the ground because I am not God. But when it's grounded in God, that anchor is sure. It is not going to move. The external situations around us can, can pull us to and fro, but we have a clear vision of the end in mind. We have a clear vision of hope that drives us forward because there is something beyond ourselves that gives us life. It's a powerful thing. That's what these apostles have in mind. This is what keeps the apostles going. It's a picture of what is ahead. Paul is in jail and writes a letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 12. And he says, I press on to make Christ's purposes my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's in jail. And he says, I will press on to make Christ's purposes my own because Christ has made me his own. For the longest time, I thought placing faith in God meant I made God mine. Like, okay, I'm choosing God, right? I'm going to select my religion. I'm going to choose him. And in choosing him, I get to kind of have some ownership in this game. I get to have some influence. But what Paul is saying here and what I've begun to realize is that when I place my faith in Christ, when I trust him, it's not so much me making him mine. He makes me his. And what's powerful about this in our context this morning is that when I am his, he is ultimately responsible for me. He takes me, makes me his own, and says, I am going to see to it that he finishes strong. I am going to strengthen him, encourage him. He embraces me, forgives me, encourages me, restores me, heals me, and says, I have a new life for you. It is now his responsibility. And that is what drives the apostles. They say, you can take our life, but it's ultimately God's. Their grit is grounded in him. So I ask, what's driving your life this morning? Where are you grounded? Let's see the difference that this makes for the apostles in verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, and this is that Jewish council uh, that's responsible for trying and and judging the apostles. And they're questioned by the high priest. And the Sanhedrin says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with his teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. That is a statement that I want to echo from my life because when I read it, I say, I want to be those guys. I never want to be in their situation. But I want to be strong enough to endure it. This Sanhedrin, who they're saying this to, are the same group of people that 50 days prior had crucified Jesus Christ. Literally handed him over to Roman, where he, Rome, where he was persecuted and crucified. The same group of people. And they're looking and saying, I know where my life is grounded and I'd rather be grounded in him than be fearful of you. It's a powerful perspective to understand that when we place our faith, when we trust God, he takes ownership of us. And that means that we've got somebody greater on our side. Why is this the reality? Because 
God of our ancestors has raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a cross. God has exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey. They have seen Jesus Christ overcome the suffering and death, been victorious in all things, and they say, that is the person I am following, and if he can do it for himself, he can do it for me. I am going to be grounded in God. It is this vision of the end in mind that matters. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Who's read that book? There's quite a few of us. That book scares me sometimes. It's challenging because it wants you to paint a picture of the end of your life, what's driving you. And he says this, each part of your life, today's behaviors, tomorrow's behaviors, next week's behaviors or next month's behaviors can be examined in the context of the whole of what really matters most to you. By keeping the end clearly in mind, you can be certain that whatever you do in any particular day does not violate that which is most supremely important. Where is your life grounded this morning? What is supremely important to you? For the apostles, it was obeying, trusting, and following God rather than the fear of man. Even Gamaliel... It's a fun name. Gamaliel, this great Jewish rabbi in the first century, understands this. He doesn't follow Jesus, but he understands this very principle. He looks around and he says, guys, there's been other leaders around this time that have amassed followers. They've tried starting rebellions. They've tried overturning Rome and restoring Jewish religion. And he says, each one of those movements has fallen apart with the death of their leader. It's over. They've disbanded. The followers have scattered. And he says, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. That's a powerful statement. When your life is grounded in God, and you are his own. People that come against you are not just coming against you. They're coming against the God for whom you've trusted your life. And that changes our perspective. His, Gamaliel's speech persuades them. So they call the apostles in, and Gamaliel's just told them, let them go, don't lay a hand on them. And what do they do? They have them flogged. They have them whipped up to 39 times and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus again, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts, they went back for some reason, and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They left rejoicing. Their perspective was somewhere else. I want to be able to rejoice at the end of my life. Will you finish strong? 
There's a process to this. And I think part of what the apostles did was they built the right processes in mind that helped them prepare for tomorrow. They did today what they could in order to prepare for an uncertain tomorrow. And I believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the habits that we develop today will see us through the most challenging and difficult times that are ahead. What did they do? Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they, count, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and were glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That doesn't sound very dramatic, right? We've heard that numerous times. I grew up hearing that passage. I'm a community groups pastor. I use that passage all the time because it talks about community and the power of these things. The reality is these are the fundamentals of faith. Without these fundamentals, your faith will not be able to stand. It will not be able to make it through challenge. Scripture. You need to become enamored with Scripture, reading it over and over again, dedicating it. The psalmist says it is joy to our heart. It brings life and wellness and water. It enriches us. There's something powerful in Scripture. This was the biggest thing that got me through as a teen, deciding whether to become a Christian, becoming enamored with reading it over and over again, becoming familiar with it, ingraining it in who I am, because when challenge comes, those are the resources that we have to draw upon. Prayer, we talked about last week, doesn't have to be dramatic, but it has to be consistent because it is the best way in which we build that relationship with Jesus and it is the way that we I understand God. It's what drives us. Community. There was a group two weeks ago that talked about bold faith, a community group at Grace. And they looked at one another having talked about this bold faith, and they said, if we lived this way, we wouldn't have any friends. And it depends on the perspective that you have. What friends are you trying to build? Because when you commit your life to this journey, to this movement, to where God is going, you look around this room and say, there is a community around me that's willing to step out in boldness and they can drive me forward, strengthen me, encourage me, build me up in a new way. That's what's happening at West Falls Church location. There's a community over there that says, we're going to step out and do something bold. And they're going to have stories and share life together that they would not have if they were not part of this relationship of this movement. There's a community that we get established in. For the longest time, I saw Acts 2 as uh, just a recipe for success. Like, it just makes you feel good. It's kind of optional. It's a pick and grab, kind of a menu. I'm an introvert, so a lot of these things didn't really matter. I'm like, I don't need to be in other people's house eating all the time. But it's not a ma- just a matter of success. It's a matter of survival. For the apostles, this is a matter of survival. This is the fundamental stuff that got them through the day-to-day. Having these habits in place meant that they could make it through anything. Faith and prayer. 
set the foundation and provide strength for the journey. But if we quit, if we give up due to challenge or hardship, faith and prayer are ultimately emptied or devalued, stripped of their power. Because we've given up and turned around and walked away from the one to whom faith and prayer point. Faith and prayer set the foundation and provide strength for this journey. But if we quit, if we give up too early, they're ultimately emptied of their power because they no longer point to the one that is the foundation of that relationship. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 2.12. says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. There is a powerful promise that is out ahead of us. If we persist, if we endure, if we finish strong. Jesus continues in Matthew 5, says, I have said these things to you about your suffering, about the challenge ahead, so that you might have peace in me. In the world you will face persecution, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's powerful. That's a God whom I want to follow. That is a God that I need to be grounded in because he is the one who can get me past the struggles of this life, can set forth a reward in front of me. This morning we'll be taking communion and I invite the communion team to take their place. For the early church, communion was one of the fundamentals it was ingrained in their life, in their habits, in their, who they were as a community. It served as a reminder of the forgiveness, the love, and the power of Jesus Christ and the new life that he extends to each of us. It also pointed to the hope that laid before us, that in taking communion regularly, that there is a reward, a life, a covenant, a promise that we have waiting for us. That Jesus, having suffered and died, was not forsaken by God and was ultimately restored, brought back to life. Through his resurrection, we encounter the power of God who overcomes all struggles, who gives new life, has victory over death, as it is, communion is a symbol of finishing strong. If you carry the pain of failure this morning, you've looked at this series and said, okay, I'm not bold enough. I can't be this bold person. Faith is too much to bear. May this time of communion be a way of responding to God and saying, God, help me to find my grounding in you. May I be rooted in you that although the world around me spins and twirls and pulls me each direction, I am unmovable because my faith, my trust is in you. If you're in the midst of persevering and you're just kind of tired, you're just holding on, may this symbol of his extreme love, his passion for you, his desire to embrace you, to encourage you, to lead you along in this journey, in this movement, inspire you and fan new passion into your life. Be reminded this morning that your grit is in God and that though the things in this world pull against you, 
they will ultimately find themselves fighting against God because someone on your side is greater, pulling you through, telling you do not give up because you are not fighting alone. I'm going to ask the community team to distribute the elements this morning. Once everybody has been served, we'll participate together and I'll conclude with a final prayer. As the elements are finishing being passed, this morning in communion, we are reminded of the sacrifice of Christ. That having loved us so much that he came down to this earth and said, I will embrace you where you are and walk alongside you in this journey because the goal is a relationship. He did not come down and then leave. He has not left you alone this morning. The challenge is to find our lives grounded in him. And the apostles, after his death, talk about communion. It's this reminder, this constant fundamental element of their faith. And Paul writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread this morning. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And not just his death, but his resurrection. This new life that is ahead of us. Let us drink the cup this morning. After service, you'll be invited to the prayer wall. I encourage you. Take advantage of that opportunity. Let us pray. Lord, you are gracious and forgiving. You embrace me as I am and strengthen me as I pursue you. Thank you, Jesus, that in your death and resurrection there is hope of new life. That though I am weak and imperfect, I am not defined by my fears and failures, but by your power and forgiveness. Make me bold that I may be able to withstand and overcome the challenges that come with following a bold God. Pray that I would endure until the end and that through your Holy Spirit you would stir up my passion. May my grit be grounded in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.